Hey everyone, we just launched a new show called Request for Startups. In the first season, we've got a rotating lineup of tech founders and investors joining me to share their requests for startups they want to exist in the world, and also share their stories of navigating the idea maze in different sectors so founders don't have to reinvent the wheel anymore. The first episode is out now. We cover better dating apps, references as a service, and we work for productivity. Listen first, then build. Video episodes of the show are on our Substack. You'll find a link in the description. If there's alpha, and this is what I'm, I want to do with Mapboarding and spreading it over both the kind of newsletter side and the media side and the investing side, but I think probably a lot of the alpha is in helping people who are like really technically good at understanding different areas explain those things like and have people who really deeply understand the science or the technical side of something but also how that feeds into the business model side of things like i think deeper stuff and more technical stuff are like two things that i've realized and like it's not common advice when you're starting a newsletter like this but i think people appreciate deeper and more technical than people expect that they do uh, particularly in this industry so i'd focus in on that like kind of probably like team up some like really good technical people who have signs of being good writers with incredible kind of editorial staff and like even people, you know, making videos and, and whatever else. And I think that's like one kind of interesting angle where it's just you have people who are like deeply embedded, deeply get this stuff and can explain it to a wider audience. Welcome to Media Empires, where we sit down with the most influential media creators right now to learn exactly how they built their empires. Our aim is to extract the secrets of top tier podcasters, newsletter authors, and media creators who are breaking the old rules for media success. Whether you're looking to start your own empire or simply curious about the nuts and bolts behind media businesses, you'll find valuable insights and tactics in each episode. Grab your headphones. Let's dive in. Riverside is a presenting sponsor of Media Empires. It's an essential part of our tech stack. Riverside makes scaling a media business possible for us and so many podcasters and creators. It's our online recording studio, not just for the show, but across the entire podcast network. Riverside lets us record interviews with the best guests from wherever they are in the world. Our team can also cut short-form clips directly from Riverside. Because as any listener of this show knows, you create once and then publish everywhere. Sign up for Riverside.fm today by following the link in the description box and use our code MEDIAEMPIRES to get a 20% discount. Packy McCormick famously started his newsletter, Not Boring, while he was unemployed with a kid on the way. Now, Not Boring is the number one business newsletter on Substack, with over 200,000 subscribers, on top of which Packy has built a venture arm with Not Boring Capital. For many, Packy is the epitome of the single creator-led institution. In this conversation, we touch on how he evolved this content format, why Venture Fund is the business he wanted to build, and his upcoming plans for experimentation. We also spend a great deal of the episode analyzing the opportunities in media for successful content businesses that don't currently exist, but should. Think of this as a request for startups in the media space. We recorded this earlier this year, but it's still very relevant today. Without further ado, here's Packy. Packy, welcome to Media Empires. Thanks so much for joining. Great to be here. So Packy, uh, here at Media Empires, we talk about the business of media and excited to go into the not boring business. You, you have this great episode uh, at Acquired that really details the, the history of, of how you got to you know, where you've gotten today. Uh, for those who haven't listened, why don't we just give a brief uh, evolution of, of how not boring started and, uh, and some of the major evolutions uh, along the way? Yeah, for sure. So I, uh, I guess I started my career in finance, uh, moved over to a startup called Breather, where I worked for six years. Uh, the last year that I was there, 
Uh, we brought in a new management team. It was kind of the stereotypical bringing a new management team to a startup and things get less exciting. Um, and so decided to start writing and, and take uh, David Perel's Rite of Passage course kind of on the side. And so you know, luckily, Breather had all these small spaces that were perfect for working throughout the city. So I'd like go get in a breather at 6 a.m. before work and write or do it on the weekend uh, and, and really enjoyed uh, the writing process. Didn't think it was going to be something that I did full time. But, you know, at that point, I, I think I tried to quit my job three times over the course of that year. And so, like, it's like maybe if I just write, you know, a bunch on the Internet, somebody who has a cool job will find me and, and we'll go from there. Uh, I was thinking about starting my own thing, uh, physical space based joined on deck, uh, which is where, where we first met. Um, and then pandemic hit. So uh, anything kind of physical space based wasn't going to happen. It was a godsend. It, it was like a terrible idea. I would be miserable running that that business today. Uh, so I got really lucky. But, um, you know, as part of figuring out what I wanted to do next, I asked my wife if, if I could just write uh, write a newsletter for three months. I changed the name to, to Not Boring, which was kind of the name of the other idea, um, and just started writing kind of full essays that were a mix of kind of pop culture and, and business and tech. Uh, and really kind of almost from the beginning of starting to do that, I was getting enough little signals like the friends that I thought would be shitting on it were reaching out to say, I actually really like last week's post or like, this is actually really good. Uh, and the, the kind of subscriber, subscriber count just kept growing. And so uh, once the three months were up, I was still making no money. Uh, we had moved into Pooch's parents' basements because our lease had expired. It was COVID and, and we were pregnant. Uh, and so I wanted to get the extra support there. And so I locked myself in the basement and just kind of kept writing. I think it took probably nine months to turn monetization off. And I think probably one of the early decisions that ended up being important was that I originally thought, you know, maybe if I can get to 5,000 subscribers, I can turn on subscriptions, maybe 10% of them do it. 500 people at 10 bucks a month, like I'm making $60,000 a year, like maybe I can afford rent and then hopefully it keeps kind of growing from there. I uh, decided instead to, to turn on just sponsorships on the newsletter. Uh, and I think that's kind of been a huge, uh, huge unlock. There's different paths. Lenny Richeski is killing it on the subscription front because he has one, a great newsletter and, and podcast that feeds into it, but then two, like a very clear buyer for that. I was just kind of pulling stuff out of my ass every week. So I was like, you know what? Sponsors probably work a little bit better here than like asking somebody to get their corporate card and buy something called Not Boring. And really, you know, from then it, it's just kind of grown and grown and grown fairly consistently, um, which has been really, really nice. I, I haven't focused a ton on the growth side of things, like really spend most of my time uh, just making sure that I'm writing stuff that I find interesting and, and hoping that other people do too. Um, you know, part of it is launched a venture fund on the side. So that has been uh, a lot of fun and, you know, launched on the side that has become kind of a core piece of what we're doing now. And I think the two fit really well together, which we can, we can talk about. I get the question a bunch, which is like, are you, you're, you're monetizing the newsletter now through venture. And like, I just don't view it that way at all. Like if I make no money on venture, I can't say that because like I want to perform well, but like I really just love doing it and love the combination of these two things together. I want to kick ass and have a top decile fund and and all of that, but like really doing it because I think these fit really, really well together. So that's kind of the current state of not boring is writing every week. Uh, I brought a couple of people uh, onto the team who are also great writers who write occasionally for us and help on the investment side and then run uh, not boring capital. Yeah, it, it, fascinating overview. There's so much I want to get into. For, first, just on the venture side, uh, you know, before you started not boring, uh, it, it's unclear, you know, like, 
that was only three years ago or only a few years ago. And it, it's unclear if you could have raised uh, a meaningful size fund or... It is not unclear. It is very clear <laughs> that I could not have raised a fund. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being nice. <laughs> yeah. um, thank you, bro. And, or gotten like a you know, senior GP job at, at some firm. And, and now those those doors, I'm sure, have been, have been knocking and, and you joined as an advisor, I believe, at some point at A16Z. And so, you know, I'm curious, do you see your story as something that other people can emulate, like the Packy McCormick for healthcare, the Packy McCormick for, for XYZ? Like, is, is that a way to break into venture? Is it kind of prove that you're an expert in a category and build an audience around that? Like, what do you think about that path to getting to venture? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think as with any path, like the first couple of times somebody tries to do it are the easiest. And so like, I'm sure there are much, much, much better writers on the things that I write about out there than me right now. But, you know, I just have a little bit of, uh, I guess, that momentum uh, and and switching costs built in. Um, but certainly, like, I, I think that, you know, Elliot on my team is a phenomenal example of this. He he is doing, you know, not, not boring. He's doing uh, century of biology talking about and writing about biotech. He's getting his PhD at Stanford right now. He has been kind of like in, in a few kind of venture programs and working with us at Not Boring Capital. And I think just has a really great sense for both kind of the science. And then also, I think a lot of scientists can get stuck in like maybe the present a little bit, you know, really good ability to kind of project out where things might be heading and, and form theses around that. So he's proof positive that you can certainly at least break into something like Not Boring Capital. But I think, you know, he'll be raising over time very big and successful uh, biotech funds. And so certainly I think there there's an opportunity there. What I would suggest is like, is maybe not being as generalist uh, as as I am on it and like really finding that area where you can become an expert and, and be technically good and a good writer. And I think there, there'll be opportunities there, but I'm sure someone will come out and do a general version of what I do better. Yeah, the I, I'm curious if you've explored kind of like going much bigger with the, the media business in terms of hiring a, a number you're already you know you've hired some some writers for their capacity and, and, and it's special you know uh, rahul also doing moonshots with you um so you're definitely expanding but the, the temptation when something is working is to do lots of other things right um and so a, a other adjacent thing like you could cover all fun rate like you could replace TechCrunch or or what if TechCrunch started in 2023 and 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 you know maybe you already have to some degree um but i'm curious of like what have you chosen not to do that seems appealing or either not to do period or not to do now? Yeah, I think a lot of it's period, uh, but anything anything can change. I think the TechCrunch one is, is a really interesting example because there's like a lot of really smart, talented people over there who actually like, you know, I think are, are really good at covering their sectors, but because of the volume of TechCrunch announcements, they still drive a lot of clicks and a lot of uh, interest. So like, they they probably they might perform better on the click side than I do, but like just because of the volume, it's less of a special thing than a not boring write up on a company. Um, and so I, I think one of the pieces that I wrote, kind of reflecting on the journey so far and where it's going, was that no one necessarily wants more content. There's so much content on the internet. I want to get really good at doing the thing that I'm really good at, uh, and not try to expand too much beyond that. Like if you had told me in the beginning of not boring that I could be making like a hundred thousand dollars a year doing not boring and that like occasionally I'd be able to angel invest in something. I would have been psyched and thought that that's like better than it would have turned out. And so I'd much rather focus on kind of doubling down on the core stuff here than trying to expand and uh, kind of dilute the whole thing. Yeah. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts on kind of the, the fundraise, um, 
you know, announcement as a media more broadly, like just to zoom out, you know, Product Hunt kind of um, took the launch announcement and said, hey, instead of a TechCrunch journalist writing about it, we're going to democratize it and let, you know, you or me post of our friends, uh, you know, launch announcement and then kind of, you know, uh, create some good discussion and commentary around it. And, and, and that you were able to build a, you know, pretty well-trafficked site off that. And I'm curious if, if, if fundraise announcement is a similar opportunity where it's something that people always promote. Um, there's sometimes interesting commentary, uh, around it, you know, maybe why the investors invested in this kind of thing, who's involved. Um, and, and so there's a natural kind of like growth loop there that I don't think outside of like tech, you know, uh, traditional journalism has been, um, like has capitalized. And so I wonder if, if there's an opportunity to do what Product Hunt did for the uh, launch announcement for fundraise announcements. What, what's your reaction to that that um, idea or framework? Yeah, the dynamics actually do strike me as similar. I would say actually though, that I think that like fundraise announcements are one of the most uh, overhyped things relative to their, their value. Like, I have a lot of people, obviously, at this point, like, reaching out about fundraise announcements and portfolio companies wanting me to write up the fundraise. And like, I think it's the least possible interesting thing about a, a company. And not just saying that as like a, a VC, but like, I really want to write about companies kind of either when they've had some like huge scientific rate. We wrote about Atomic AI and we did it around their fundraise, but they're building you know, AlphaFold for RNA and, and like just doing this like crazy stuff that was cover, featured on the cover, cover of Science Magazine. and and so we could write like a kind of big meaty piece around the fundraise uh, often want to just like kind of lean in and write about something when it's like hitting its inflection point. Like maybe that corresponds to the fundraise, but a fundraise announcement itself, it feels like one of those things that, you know, like each, each one of the products on product hunt, and there's a lot of similarity and a lot of AI stuff now, but like is a new product experience and like something for people to try. Whereas I think it could get really vanilla looking at, fundraise announcement after fundraise announcement after fundraise announcement. So I think the dynamics maybe on the supply side and the sharing might be similar, but on the demand side, like I can't imagine that people are just going to be reading that stuff all the time. I could be totally wrong there, but that would be my initial initial gut there. And so it has to have some strong editorial. Uh, it, it can't just be printing a press release. It has to be like some actual uh, analysis. And, and so you, you do it for the top, you know, 0.1% or, 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 or 1%. And I wonder if there's something for the top 10% that that's not a full-fledged, you know, uh, packy write-up, but that there's also not a press release. Yes. And, you know, I've done, I've, I've definitely done write-ups on stuff that I'd say is like maybe not top 1%, particularly kind of early on. And I think the interest in those is just lower, right? Like people want big, bold visions and like these unbelievably talented teams going after really big things. And so like, certainly you could write about the 99% of uh, companies that fall below that, but I don't think the content is as compelling. Um, and I had this uh, post that I wrote uh, on Startup Prophecies and it's a riff off this idea of prophecy markets that uh, Jacob, Jacob Horn and Zora wrote. And the idea there is like a more kind of decentralized version, a little bit of what you're talking about, where like anybody can mint content around the companies that they're most excited about. And so like, let's say you see everything going on at Replit, you see kids creating, they just launched bounties, they have Ghostwriter, Amjad is doing a great job out on Twitter, just promoting the shit out of the company and, and going after Techery and all that. Like, if you're excited about that early on, like create art around that, make a prediction that you think it'll be a hundred billion dollar company and that like somehow, even though Microsoft's playing everything great, like 
it's going to actually, you know, compete with Microsoft on, on kind of the IDE and coding side of things. And like, put those things out there, put work into the content and, and like maybe an ecosystem can kind of form around those predictions. I think all that stuff anchors to like the top, to your point, point one percent and even among those like the one percent of the point one percent that is actually important if it works and not just valuable um but i think there's like really interesting things that you can do there kind of permissionlessly once uh if, if people kind of anchor all the creativity going in nfts and whatever else and even just regular sub stacks into uh kind of these top top startups totally um let, let's go into your venture model you're finishing out your your your, your fund three um, talk about how the style of investing has, has changed and how you've really, and, and why you've changed it, what, what, what you learned about the market or the opportunity or, or fundraising that has led you to, to land on a much more concentrated model. Yeah. So uh, funds one and two both had about a hundred uh, portfolio companies in them. I'd say fund one in particular uh, was really like, I wasn't sure that I wanted to do it for a long time. I was honest with, with investors about that and with, with LPs about that. But had been doing a bunch of SPVs, uh, and that was too much of a pain in the butt for founders, and so wanted to to just have a vehicle to to invest out of. And super broad, bunch of different categories, a uh, bunch of different stages. You know, go as late as the Series E or as early as a pre-seed. Um, and really, the the idea was there's this horizontal advantage that I have uh, with the newsletter and the ability to one get in front of founders, and then two be able to. Uh, invest in the the companies that we want to invest in and then three help tell their stories um i think i saw a tweet the other day there was something like you know a lot of emerging manager first funds are like uh just like kind of angel investing but with a, a venture fund behind it and i think that's very much what fund one was fund two was as big although i think i, I got uh better at picking um and had a bigger universe of companies to pick from and so we will see. I did a lot of uh, Web3 investing there. And for like, now that I'm talking to LPs, they're like, how do you feel about those crypto investments? And I actually, like, my contrarian opinion on myself is I actually love the crypto portfolio that we built there. And I think there's going to be uh, a lot of really big winners out of that. So I think Fund 2 is going to perform well. And I think, you know, frankly, it might even be easier to fundraise uh, on a similar, but like maybe slightly skinny down strategy because it's pretty easy to say to investors, look, I have access. I can get into a bunch of different deals. My check size is increasing. So, like, Instead of 100, I'll do 75 companies this time, uh, but you're really betting on an index of the best companies and my ability to get into those. What's harder, the way that we've uh, decided to go is to say, we're doing like 30 core checks and we're not doing SaaS, we're not doing consumer social, like we're doing Web3 and crypto, hard startups, Adams type stuff on the other side, like stuff that historically you probably shouldn't have invested in an in, in awful lot of cases and we're focused on uh, kind of tech bio and climate and defense and the whole thing sounds like buzzword bingo a little bit but the thing that everything has in common is no playbook has been written they're complex stories and big ambitions that i think we can add the most value by helping to tell those stories and explain what these companies are doing and then three like a big one for us is defensibility on the other side so like doing something really, really hard, but if they figure it out, the market on the other side is huge and the opportunity to defend the business is huge and really looking for kind of $10 billion outcomes on the other side of that. Why we chose 30, frankly, is really just one, I think you know, I, I can build a top quartile fund uh, 
with a bigger portfolio and just getting into the really good stuff, but want to I'm competitive and kind of want to go top decile here. Uh, and then two, I want to be able to write and do podcasts and like kind of just throw everything behind every company that we invest in instead of kind of the way that it works now, which is, you know, when the time is right for certain companies, I'm able to write, but there aren't a hundred days in the year to write a piece. You know, it, it would all be crap if I wrote one every three days. Uh, and so really want to put the full weight of not boring behind each of the companies that we invest in now. And how, how have you chosen in terms of uh, ownership targets and, and check side stage? And- yeah, so we're doing, call it 500 to a million dollar checks in pre-seed through series A. We'll do a few kind of explore checks, kind of more of the pre-seed. And otherwise, we're kind of looking at, at seed and series A. Ownership targets, like if we can get one to 5% great, I think, and I'm going to, you know, I'm still, still talking about these, so hopefully they don't listen to this, but like, I do think that portfolio construction is one of the most overhyped things in venture. Like I'm like picturing the midwit curve where it's like invest as much as you can in the best companies. No, no, no. You need ownership targets and whatever. Invest as much as you can in the best companies. Uh, and then obviously like do everything you can to help them as much as you possibly can and be able to invest in follow on rounds and, and all of that. But I think a lot of people try to just like sound buttoned up by overthinking portfolio construction when like, you know, if, if the greatest companies in the world will let me invest $2 million. I break my $1 million cap and, and go for it. So uh, that's that's kind of how I think about that side of the world. Yeah. Even with the best portfolio construction, if you don't have the, the you know, the good companies, you know, it doesn't mean shit. And, and, and exactly. Talk, talk about how your content has evolved in, in terms of the, the different formats that you've experimented with and um, how you've kind of found uh, w- w- what makes most sense there. Yeah. So... I uh, started out like super, uh, super general, uh, where, you know, be writing mostly kind of about trends or things kind of going on. I, in the beginning, explicitly tried to do like one pop culture reference, one company or idea reference and tie the two together. So like creative disruption, destruction and uh, the Mickey Mouse Club. And like the idea being that if everybody uh, who was in the Mickey Mouse Club was still in the Mickey Mouse Club, like that would be really, really sad. Uh, and instead, like Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears, whoever like went on to have their own great careers, like right at the beginning of the pandemic when everything was falling apart and people thought it was terrible that everyone was losing their jobs, uh, did a little bit more like kind of like public company analysis, like in a more fun way and all of that, realized that like, I don't have an edge in a lot of places, but I like particularly don't have edge in the in the public markets. And so like while I liked writing those and while nobody in the beginning was trading on uh, anything that I wrote, like the audience got to a big enough size where if I wrote about something, even if I was like, here's the bear case and like here, like people would buy that thing in a lot of cases. And so, you know, decided to stop, uh, stop doing public company stuff quite as much. I have really kind of two, uh, main formats for the newsletter. Now one general pieces of content that could be on a company that could be on a trend. It could be on a weird idea, like startup prophecies that I had. Uh, and then these sponsor deep dives that, that we write on, on companies, which, the first time I wrote one, I thought I was going to get killed for it. And I was like, it's probably the only time I'm going to be able to do this. And then people actually like them. I think founders like those more than uh, the general audience. They're, like, They won't do as well, typically views-wise, as like, the very best of our, our regular kind of Monday posts. But getting to go behind the scenes and kind of getting more information on a lot of these startups that we do think are kind of top 0.1%. I think is, is really valuable to other people trying to to build companies and the audience has liked it. And so we continue to do those, although those will probably be uh, as we write just kind of more about portfolio companies, less and less of what we do. 
And then last year we added the uh, the weekly dose of optimism or this piece on optimism and how there's just not enough of it in the world. Now there's all this amazing stuff going on, but then like, you know, Twitter today is just like all the world is ending and like, just like all this bad stuff. And I'm like, what is going on? Like there's fusion happening and like we're curing diseases and T cells are fighting cancer. And like all this stuff is happening and like, we're choosing to focus on this bullshit. And so every week and my brother uh, kind of helps with that one together now. But every week we just put out five articles about the, the awesome shit that, that humans are doing. That's another one that we like, you know, we put out a spring survey and we're like, do people actually like this? Like, you know, open rates definitely aren't as high as the essays. It's not like what we're, what we're known for. But the feedback was like, I think 86% love or something like that. And then the amount of kind of one-on-one uh, -on -one messages I get or like when I'm talking to founders as much as my normal essays now, people are saying they like the weekly dose of optimism. And I think there's just like something about in that like last year, this awful 2022, just kind of like sticking with the optimism piece when like you listen to our friends at, at All In or something and it's like, shit, yeah, we were responsible. Like we, like this market sucks. Like we would never have done all the irresponsible bullshit that everybody else did. But like, this is awful. And you guys, like uh, we're going to be dumb and optimistic kind of no matter, uh, no matter what happens here, unless the facts on the ground like really, really, really change. Um, and I think founders have appreciated and readers have appreciated kind of that, that consistency there. I, mean, I definitely get dunked on for the optimism as well, but, uh, I think overall that that's been a really nice addition. Totally. Are there any content formats that you want to explore, experiment with, uh, upcoming, or do you think you've, 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 you're, you're solid and it will re remain in the, over the next year looking similar, but just, just continue to get better? Yeah, I think anything that I want to do would, uh, going forward would be experimental. So we've talked about the idea of like a debate podcast. And I think in line with kind of the weekly dose of optimism, like there's just a lot of like yelling past each other going on on these important topics. And like I was in a debate club, you know, did debate in high school and college, started a debate club you know, when we first met when, when I was at an on deck as part of my idea. And not a business, but like I think a really uh, interesting format and a really good way to kind of like just see the the kind of facts on both sides and get really smart people to kind of curate down to like the best five arguments on each side of an issue. So if I find some more time, uh, maybe a debate podcast. And the other one that I mentioned in the Startup Prophecies piece, I would love to do more and like, I'd be terrible at this, but uh, like, you know, optimistic, short story sci-fi, I think like, and particularly even about the companies that we, that we invest in, like these people are doing wild, wild shit. And uh, I think like, just imagining what the world looks like in 50 years, if somehow they're able to pull it off, I think it'd be kind of fun. I don't exactly know how that would work because like so many of them are solving like very particular things. Like I don't know exactly how you how you write that story, but um, yeah, I have the idea if I had uh, to like write it from the perspective of my kids when they're like 28 and like their adventures in this world where all this cool stuff has happened and just kind of been 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 implemented and just like you know, hedonic adaptation, everyone finds it normal now, but like the world is just really, really good. So those would be like the two formats that I'd experiment with, but I, the plate is full right now. So we'll see how much I get to. This idea is, uh, I like those ideas a lot. This one I'm about to say is way too much work, uh, but it'd be cool if there was like a museum called like 2050 or something where you, you go in and it just mimics like how life is, uh, you know, uh, just a few decades from now. I'm totally. Have you seen uh, Have you seen the World's Fair Co? Uh, no, I haven't seen it. And what Cam is he's trying to pull off? It's it's really cool. Um, he's trying to build the World's Fair again. Um, yeah. And and a lot of it is is that if he's making good progress on it. Yeah, I think we need we need more of that. I think that'd be, that'd be amazing.
I think the other one that like is probably missing is, and hopefully someone can just build this in in like full haptic VR or like like get inside your brain. But like the world right now, if the things that have been invented hadn't been invented, right? Like there's just like so like um, people really yeah. like to to glorify, you know, the 1900s and living in the countryside. And, like great, your food is like all rotten now and like you have to go kill your cow to get more of it. And like all, all this like stuff that I think, you know, it's just really easy to take for granted. I think it'd be fun to do the like counterfactual VR experience. Totally. And similarly, people are like, I hate my phone. I hate social media. It's like, okay, well, let's imagine a world without your phone. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what was that like? Um, totally. The, the um, that's really interesting. On the, uh, on, on the S1 idea, or, or just kind of value, if you weren't kind of moving markets, uh, so to speak, or, you know, influencing people to, to buy, is it something you still explore or is it kind of irrelevant to, to your business that is the venture business? Because I'm curious just in general, if there's an opportunity to build like almost like a rap genius for, for S1s or, or just kind of like, I know Mario's experimenting with S1 Club. If, if there's some content business that can be built around better, like, you know, user-generated public analysis. Yeah, I think, I think there probably is. I think I'm probably the wrong guy for it because i do tend to be too too optimistic on things particularly for the public markets i think that's like a feature probably in early stage venture and a bug in public markets investing so like literally anything that i would have put in single name stocks before i'm just putting in different symphonies and composer which is one of our portfolio companies and like somehow since i started investing in composer in march of 2022 my portfolio is up like 20 percent uh which is you know not how the markets went last year and not how the stuff that i still have in robin hood did uh so I, I i better off just kind of indexing i think probably a lot of people are as well um but i don't know like I, I think good explanations of what companies do and like what the key levers are and all of that without any kind of like prediction about what might happen in the future i think there's that can definitely be made uh be made more approachable but like i don't know my I, I've like come to like more and more and more think the public markets are just like the funniest thing in the whole entire world. And like that there's this huge industry of people who take themselves very, very, very seriously and like show up at work every day and ties to, you know, maybe traders aren't wearing ties and hedge but like take it really fucking seriously to like maybe outperform the benchmark if they're one of the really, yeah. really good ones and like maybe do it consistently. I think it's one of those things that we'll look back on in like a hundred years when we're all just like creating art because they just, and we're like, do you remember when people like <laughs> pretended that this was like a very serious thing that you could do? Uh, so yeah, that, that's kind of my view on public markets right now. Yeah, and it's interesting that some people are trying to like Sacro is trying to create that kind of analysis for for private markets, and and we our friends at Contrary are trying to do that with their They're research. Doing a great job, yeah, yeah, and so it's interesting to see um, you know people kind of f- follow your, your 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 work and try to do it for just a, a longer tail of or, or, or in a slightly different way. Yeah, and I've, I've been, I mean, soccer, I've been a fan of uh, for a while. And then I've been really impressed with uh, both kind of the company selection and the quality of the work that the, the folks over at Contrary have done. So, yeah, I think the more of that, the better. Yeah. I, I've wondered if there's a way to compete with Crunchbase or PitchBook, um, both of which seem to do okay, but aren't like beloved products, uh, not to, you know, um, d- d- speak badly about them, but if there's a way to kind of Compete, especially Crunchbase is a bit kind of stingy with with data and kind of like a give to get model. Is, is that a space that you've explored at all? No, I mean, I think there's just so much data cleaning and checking and verification. Like it, it is not an area that I'd be uh, be any good at. I would love, I had, I had 
the free like friend of pitch book access until I guess midnight on December 31st this year and they cut it off. And so now I'm like desperately wanting my pitch book back, but probably not willing to pay $27,000 a year. And so I'm like bumming pitch book runs off of, off of friends right now. It'd be awesome if, if that intro, if that information were, were more easily available for less money. And I'm sure just the way the world is moving, it will be, but I have no desire to build that. I'll be a consumer of that information for sure. Makes sense. I want to do the thought experiment with you. Let's say that you were not pursuing the venture capital route. So you, you cannot invest into companies, but you were still uh, enterprising and wanted to build, you know, as big of a business as, as, as possible. Where would you take not, not boring if, uh, if, if, if you were, uh, if in another universe, you, you couldn't do venture? Oh man. I mean, like I've, I've written this before, but uh, I've probably said it before, but like if I, I told my wife before I ever started even thinking about writing that when I retired, I wanted to like read, talk to smart people and invest, Like that's what I would have wanted to do. So like the fact that it's ended up here already, it's hard to think of, of something else that I would have done, but like on the newsletter side, I think there's, you know, a ton of opportunity there. Like I could, I could grow not boring into a much bigger business on the media side. If I weren't like, you know, conflicted out of sponsored deep dives because I've invested in competitor companies and like all, all of that kind of stuff, like there's just a lot more that I could do on that side of the business. I'd probably also just like build and experiment a little more. Like I'm not a technical person, but I would, I would just like kind of build more with, with the team, probably more kind of products and experiences around uh, not boring. So like maybe that, you know, like startup prophecies idea, like try to build something there or, you know, I, I think having a mini kind of like product studio attached to this uh, and just spinning up little things I think could be good. I don't know if that leads to a big business at all. I think it'd be really fun, but the media business can at least support, uh, you know, it's a high margin, very low overhead kind of business. So it can support a bunch of those kinds of experiments. Yeah, totally. Let's brainstorm a a, a bit. You know, if we look at the last like seven years of of tech media, like it feels like the things that are most interesting have been you have been Lenny, have been Harry, um, Mario, you know, so, so some great podcasts and newsletters that, that have really become institutions. I, I don't mean to downplay it when I say that, but it, it hasn't, we haven't seen like a new tech crunch or we haven't seen like new tech media companies um, that, that are beyond individuals. Now you've expanded beyond yourself, but um, you know, you get what I'm trying to say. And what I wondered is like, if, if tech crunch existed, if someone tried to start a new tech crunch today, would they start with one um, kind of vertical, like a pack, uh, you know, a packy or Lenny, and then try to add more on top? Or like, I almost wonder if there's an opportunity to build like a hold co where you, um, and this I guess is what Work Week is trying to do, just yep. agree, where That's you try right. to just yeah discover the next packy, the next Harry, the next Lenny. Um, and what I wonder is like, how much alpha is there? Like, let's say someone discovered you at Breather, someone discovered Lenny at Airbnb. You know, would you have partnered with someone in like a joint venture type way? And if so, like, how, do, how does the business capture value? I guess, do they um, become, you know, get some percentage of your manage, uh, management company? Like, you sign 360. Like, I'm curious of uh, your perspective on the prompt of, like, if you wanted to build a tech media company today, if you were ambitious, you were trying to build whatever TechCrunch achieved, but, you know, native to 2023, how would you go about it? And then I'm also curious what you think of the, the hold co for individuals idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm an investor in, in Workweek. I almost didn't because I thought it was like kind of competitive with not boring, but I'm really glad I did this. Uh, I mean, Adam is awesome and, and they're doing a great job um, and growing really fast. And I think executing that model, you know, just like a media operator only could and, and certainly not something that, that uh, I'd be able to do. I think 
if there's alpha and this is what I'm, I want to do with that boring and uh, spreading it over both the kind of newsletter side and the, the media side and the investing side. But I think probably a lot of the alpha is in helping people who are like really technically good uh, kind of uh, understanding different areas, explain those things. Like if you could clone Elliot, uh, you know, a hundred times or, you know, Raul is like a little more spread over a few different deep tech categories, but I think that works as well. Like if you could clone that and have people who really deeply understand the science or the technical side of something, but also how that feeds into the business model side of things, like I think deeper stuff and more technical stuff are like two things that I've realized and like it's not common, common advice when you're starting a newsletter like this, but I think people appreciate deeper and more technical than people expect that they do, uh, particularly in this industry. So I'd probably focus in on that, like not trying to find a Paggy because I'm not good at that. I'd try to probably like, team up some like really good technical people who have signs of being good writers with incredible kind of editorial staff and like even people, you know, making videos and, and whatever else, although we haven't done as much on that side of things. But I think that's what I want to do with, with not boring. And I think that's like, one kind of interesting angle where it's just you have people who are like deeply embedded, deeply get the stuff and can explain it to a wider audience. T -t totally. I, 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 I like that a lot. I also like the genre of, weird, of the debate, as, as you were mentioning, because it feels like you know, really great analysis is, is rare and really great analysis from both perspectives is even more rare. <laughs> um, and so being able to take whatever is the, the big issue within tech of the week and help people you know, not just understand it, but also understand kind of like the various trade-offs um, and uh, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a real opportunity. Um, how, how, just to play it out for a second, like how do you, like let's say you, this existed and you were pursuing it, like how would you choose topics almost or like what, what kinds of, what, what thing examples come to mind of um, things that would be really helpful to unpack both sides of? Yeah, I mean, I think probably look at things where you know, where there are just two sides of people deeply entrenched in their own view. And so like the last thing the world needs is another conversation about Elon and Twitter. But like, I think that's kind of an interesting one where like, there's just some side, one side who thinks it's like the worst thing in the world and he's evil and the company's going to fall apart. There's the other side who thinks that like he can do absolutely no wrong. And like, there is an answer that is certainly somewhere uh, in the middle of those two things. I don't know exactly how you'd uh, like what the, what the topic would be that you'd be debating to, within that to make it like totally fair, but something like that. Obviously, there's you know the, the Web three debate, which I found myself uh, in the middle of. I, I do think tech, and one of the reasons I haven't done it yet, like I, I do think tech is a little bit hard to debate about because like a bear, a, an anti crypto person, like wins a crypto debate just by default right now but i also think that like the next decade is going to be really really exciting there's just going to be like new things that any debater that you choose like wouldn't really be able to see like you know there's clips of me or like you know mark andreessen our friend like getting you know not being able to like describe the future of those things and like of course like the, it, that's the people who are going to be building over the next kind of uh decade who are going to be doing those things so i do think it's actually easier in most of these debates for the cynics to win and the best win, which is one of the tricky features of it, you know, like AGI, like who fucking knows, right? Like, yeah, it's just like, there's too much in there and too much that's like, you know, left to be discovered and figured out that you get the two smartest people on either side of that. And like, 
neither's really going to know. And they're probably like both equally right. And we'll see how it, how it plays out. So I, I think that's the biggest challenge with the idea or like Google versus Microsoft. It's like, yeah, Microsoft is, is doing better in AI and Google's like kind of a lazy company. So like some of them are just like obvious, you know, it's just, I think it'd be really hard. And that's why it was a good question to like find the exact right uh, things to, to debate. To- totally. Yeah. It's, um, it's, uh, it's, re- yeah, it goes, what was the quote of like, um, you know, cynics look smart, optimists make money. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I might be on the, on the wrong side of that. Um, that's really interesting. I mean, what do you think about the, the hold code for, so let's say you find Elliot's for different categories. How, how do you like, first off, do you envision that it should be a unified publication? Cause work is actually doing the, the opposite, right? Um, or, or they're, they're going around these creators, whereas you're doing a unified thing. Um, how do you, how do you think about the trade-offs there and, and what this media company of the future could be? I think the work week approach may like my gut would be that the work week approach makes more sense. If you're starting from scratch, I think the not boring approach can make sense. If you've like built something up over a few years and then can say like, look, we're just about all this future stuff. And like, sometimes I try to pull something in these areas out of my ass, but like, actually this person is going to be like way better at explaining this. I'm personally really excited about it. I'll contribute to it. But like, it's really useful to have that person. Whereas I think work week starting from scratch just comes with the belief that like some people really want to learn about franchising and some people really, really want to learn about fintech. Uh, and so you, if you find those people, give them back office support, give them the opportunity to like build other things kind of on top of the original media property. My gut is that that works. Whereas if you said like, we are a new publication that does space, AI, biotech, and you know crypto, like, I think it's really hard to find that initial audience for something like that would be my, my gut. That, that makes sense. And, and it's interesting. Like if you were just finishing breather, would you have taken a, a work week offer or do you prize independence so much? I came close to, uh, even like a few months into to writing that boring full time, uh, taking an offer at one of the, the big newsletters. Um, and obviously like hindsight's 2020, glad I didn't do that. Although think the world of, of uh, those folks, but yeah, I think I would have done that coming out of breather. If someone would come to me and said like, you're lost right now, you're leaving this company after six years, you know, we can give you a bunch of different opportunities. We see something in you kid. And like, you know, we think you're a great writer and you'd be really good at explaining this. I also don't know that like finding me out of breather, like what you'd fit me into would I be like the real estate tech, right? You know, it's like, I think there is probably some value in just like having people explore and build a little bit on their own. I think probably the better spot to do would be like, instead of right after I came out of breather, if I were starting that boring now, I would, I think definitely, unless I wanted to do like a bunch of Twitter threads and whatever, but like definitely struggle to find uh, an audience more than I did then. I think it's somehow discovering those like diamonds in the rough who've been doing this thing who are really, really good, but like just can't get distribution. And then being like, Hey, you're awesome. But like, it's impossible to get distribution right now. There's a million newsletters, like come join our thing. I think it's probably the best time to do that. And and I'm, I'm curious about just about like financing for creators in general, because in venture, it's so easy to be aligned where you discover someone early, they're pursuing a company, you invest in it, that company gets big, you investors along for the for the whole whole way and also takes more risk of course. Um, whereas for a creator, uh, whether it's a tech creator, you know, a newsletter writer, podcaster, YouTuber, you could discover someone but they, you're not guaranteed to keep them, right? You know, they, they'll get big. And as they get bigger, you know, that deal might might stop, you know, be making less and less sense. 
which is why I think you have to find someone who's on the come up. Like anyone who's got an audience is, is not going to really, you know, t- t- take a, you know, give a big percentage of their thing. And then well, even though they're on the come up, you have to be providing uh, much more value such that they, like an investor can invest equity and then chill. Uh, you know, you want to add some value, but like you're still going to get yours. Whereas uh, investing creators, you kind of have to earn it the whole way. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, you know, Adam has thought a lot more about this than than I have. But again, where I like the work week model, like I think what creators don't necessarily, like the good ones don't need is cash because like it's just not an expensive thing to do. And so like I think that, you know, like I know there are people who are trying to invest in creators. And I think in some cases that can that can make sense. And if you find the right rocket ship, like I hope that there's there's some sort of model there. But like whenever I've been reached out to for something like that, my thought is like, what would I even do with that money? Because um, Substack is free. I don't even have subscriptions. I haven't even paid them 10%. Like my main platform is free. It costs me sitting in a room and and writing. Maybe I have somebody to make cool videos, but like, I don't know. I, I think it's really hard to get the creator like really excited about the money piece. What would get me excited is like the time piece and the like, we can expand what you're doing, but like keep it, uh, keep it, focused and, and kind of feeling like your brand. And I think like that's where we're we coming in and being like, cool, we will throw events and we will like maybe launch products and we will, and you just do the thing that you do best and like provide creative input here and you show up to a studio and there'll be a microphone there and you just like talk into it, like that kind of stuff. I, I think creators probably want time more than they want uh, money. And so I think you do need to be pretty hands-on throughout. Yeah, totally. I, I agree that the, the money is, is not just enough or, or the money is often maybe to hi- hire more people to save you some time. But if, if you can come in and offer a set of services, and, and that's why I also think that the people who are investing in creators also probably have to manage them in some, or like have a really close relationship in some, some capacity. I'm, I'm curious if you've explored other platforms like, like YouTube or, or other ways of, uh, 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 other platforms in general. Yeah, we do. I mean, like we have a founders podcast, uh, which is probably like, Five percent of the audience size of the the newsletter uh, with one of our portfolio founders, Anton at Chroma. We've been doing Anton teaches Packy AI, where we just like kind of throw the throw the camera on. He explains the paper to me. We throw the paper up, and so like YouTube is is marginally helpful there. Uh, I think our best video has gotten five or six thousand views, which is not bad coming from a cold start. But like most of them don't. Um, and then we've started doing our founders podcast, just like throwing them up on YouTube. But like to say that that's us doing anything on YouTube is is like. A, a disservice to the millions of people who uh, actually put effort into creating content on YouTube. So like, yeah, probably at some point I'd like to do a little bit more of that. Like I just, you know, if, if I'm going to be making the content uh, and finding things that I think are really interesting and like forming theses on them, like to be able to reach more people and formats that, that kind of work for different people would be great. Not everybody wants to read 10,000 word essays every week. And I completely get that, but really the main investment has been in, in kind of, the, the newsletter. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Like if, if, if we're having the same conversation, you know, three years from now, and we're kind of reflecting on, on, you know, what's, what's exciting in kind of tech media or tech analysis. Do, do you think it's going to be somewhat similar today in terms of like the dominant perhaps formats or, or, you know, newsletter, Twitter, uh, podcast. And, um, instead of, you know, five really compelling people, there's maybe like 20 or something like I, I would call that maybe incremental or like, w- what do you expect to, to, to change, if anything. Yeah, I mean, a pitch that I'm sure you've seen a lot of and I've seen a lot of is like the curator thing where it's like, there is all this good content, but like nobody knows how to find them. And, and for whatever reason, like 
they just they they never work. And so maybe somebody figures out the curation piece, like where you know instead of googling uh, what's a transformer model, like what's a transformer architecture, like you find like the Substack writer who's like the very best at transformers and like who also understands you and speaks your language and like it's just the best way for you to learn. So like definitely a discovery piece of it. Like I do think. Uh, it'll be more a la carte uh, over time. Like the relationship piece, I think is important, but I also think that consumption like should and will be more a la carte. Like I love finding things from people who I've never heard of in my life, but explain something in a way that that I wouldn't have thought or that, that particularly resonates with me. So I think discovery will have to get better in that way. So I, my, my view that it would go the other way, that there's probably not like 20 main people, but there's, I hope a few main people still, and then like uh, a long tail. Uh, and certainly like one of the things that I want to be able to do is is highlight the people who are doing the things that I'm interested in uh, the best. But I have, you know, I, I probably would have thought that it would have changed more over the past three years than it has. And it's still very much like write a newsletter, put it on Substack. People will add different things on the side of it, but like the Substack is, is the main thing. And so, you know, it, it'll probably end up looking something similar to that, but hopefully with a little bit better discovery. Totally. I'm curious if you find people going back and reading your old posts with some frequency. Uh, and then a related question is, is there a book in, in Not Boring's Future? <laughs> I don't have an aggregation theory. Um, it's, uh, there's not there's not a book in Not Boring's Future. Uh, somebody on Twitter the other day said that they're going to compile a bunch of essays into like a, a new I book. Uh, so, so I guess that, that will happen. But I don't know what I would write about. And I don't know what, you know, like, I don't know what anybody would read a hundred thousand words from me on or like what I would feel confident writing a hundred thousand words on. So probably not. Um, but never say never on, on any of this stuff, but yeah, people do go back and read the old stuff all the time. Substack just added a feature of like not anything crazy, but like a notification feature will tell you any activity. And I'm surprised how often the activity is someone liking or even commenting on like a very old post. Uh, so definitely people do go back and read those. I think, Probably create online game is a piece that I wrote that like it's reread the most and that I see on Twitter the most, but like random stuff that I've written, I'll get notifications that people are in there commenting or, or reading. Yeah, it is interesting. There's a class of businesses uh, that we've discovered in the past few years um, could be good businesses, but probably not venture scale businesses. And and often it, it's content businesses or it's commerce um, businesses or it's or it's communities, kind of like the social whole circle, like the social club that you were yeah. exploring with not boring. Although now that you have an audience, that that would do uh, that would do much, much better. A little better. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and and those and it's interesting. I mean, the future of, of social in some sense, it seems that people will just want more frag, fragmented. Um, and so um, it'll be interesting to see like, are there are there financing opportunities for these kinds of businesses, even though they're non venture scale? One, one version of it is to maybe um, invest at much uh, with like revenue upside. So maybe there's some version of, of that, or or if you just invest at like much smaller, much lower valuations, maybe you know something that sells for you know Tucker sold for thirty million dollars. If you got in at like five hundred k or so, you know that's you know pretty sixty x or whatever. And so it'll be interesting to see um, you know h- how we get more of these kind of like boutique or, or lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, real businesses that just are not venture scale uh, off the ground. And my another another uh, heretical view on this, like I think software is probably heading that way at some point in the next X number of years as well. Where like you're gonna there's gonna be so many unbelievably cool products that that people can use, but like there are gonna be many venture scale pure software businesses started like 
10 years from now or tw- probably not. And so I think like, yeah, figuring out this model will have a lot of uh, upside and opportunity. I think crypto is a really good one here, frankly, uh, but we'll, we'll see. And, and just maybe in closing, flesh that out a bit more. It's a good one because like users, you mean like users get it upside in the in the products that they use or, or? Yeah, they don't need to return a fund, but they can, you know, they obviously a bunch needs to be worked out. It needs to like be much clearer which things are just complete scams and which things aren't. I know people are, are working on that, but like, yeah, this idea of, hey, here's a small product that I want to use. I'm happy to go support this thing, like almost somewhere between patronage and investment. I think as products get more and more and more niche, like that funding model just makes a hell of a lot more sense. And so you're not hoping that like the market cap of this thing goes to $10 billion because it shouldn't, but like maybe it becomes worth something to a small group of people and then your tokens are worth something uh, and you've gotten the product that you that you want and you can be part of the community and you're like token gated as, you know, as an early supporter of that thing and different experiences. So it just makes sense. Uh, there's a lot of things where like, I can't even write the essay on like how all the pieces I think will fit together in the future. But like, I think AI is good for crypto and you know, like, there's just a bunch of these things that I think will come together and we'll look back in a year and be like, remember when everybody thought this was like a total scam and when I get them done all the time for, for being a fan of it. And I think this is like just a very good example where you have to like guess that the internet might move that way, but then like, this is just a much better funding mechanism. Totally. And I, um, you know, I love Blake Robin's idea of a full-time fan. Um, the, the idea that, you know, Hey, I'm a, let's say I'm the third, you know, uh, subscriber to Not Boring or the third listener to the Founders Podcast. And that thing goes on to get, you know, Not Boring gets hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Like, not only do I want the social credit for discovering early, but it'd be cool to have some financial upside uh, in, in it um, along in exchange for referring it. Or, or And similarly, if you're, you know, um, we're both building subscriber bases, like we want passionate, rabid fans who are going to be sharing the content, referring it, doing work for it. Um, and so there needs to be tools to, to enable it because there's so much value being left on the table. And there, there will be, right? Like that's the, the other, and this is why the debates are so hard because like seeing exactly like what those tools are and like how you do it in a way that's not scammy and how you like keep bots out of it. Like all of that is actually really, really hard. But like in 10 years from now, will that something like that exist? Like almost, almost definitely. Yeah, totally. Um, I think it's a good place to, to wrap. Becky, this is a great overview of, of the business you built to date and some broader thoughts on, on the future of, uh, of media. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Riverside is a presenting sponsor of Media Empires. It's an essential part of our tech stack. Riverside makes scaling a media business possible for us and so many podcasters and creators. It's our online recording studio, not just for the show, but across the entire podcast network. Riverside lets us record interviews with the best guests from wherever they are in the world. Our team can also cut short-form clips directly from Riverside. Because as any listener of this show knows, you create once and then publish everywhere. Sign up for Riverside.fm today by following the link in the description box and use our code MEDIAEMPIRES to get a 20% discount. Turpentine is a network of podcasts, newsletters, and more covering tech, business, and culture, all from the perspective of industry insiders and experts. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We have a slate of hit shows across a range of topics and industries, from AI with Cognitive Revolution to Econ 102 with Noah Smith. Our other shows drive the conversation in tech with the most interesting thinkers, founders, and investors, like Moment of Zen and my show Upstream. We're looking for industry-leading hosts and shows along with sponsors. 
If you think that might be you or your company, email me at eric at turpentine.co. That's E-R-I-K at turpentine.co.